Yesterday I was uh, traveling most of the day. I had been teaching for about 12 days in North Carolina and Kentucky. I was in Louisville, Kentucky uh, yesterday with sub-freezing weather <laughs> and uh, was wondering what to speak about uh, today <laughs> as, I, as I was traveling. And I had uh, taught on different themes and the night before I had given a talk on how to bring this inner practice of mindfulness and compassion and so forth to our engagement with some of the larger issues of the world. Right? And I said, should I do that? And, I, and somehow I didn't have energy for doing that this morning. Maybe another time. <laughs> um, and, and so as I traveled, I just tried to listen for what the right theme was. And um, I was aware that Thanksgiving is coming. And at a certain point, things lined up and I said, I'll talk about generosity uh, today. I'll talk about generosity on November 19th, which is today. And then I'll talk about gratitude the day before Thanksgiving, next, next week. And that landed. And I had a, a great time after that because in the airport and in traveling, I was just seeing generosity everywhere. Mm -hmm. It was quite sweet. You know, I was witnessing little acts of generosity, of course, people meeting uh, friends, but I was also just seeing how it was there uh, in people who were helping others. Uh, my first flight was delayed about uh, over three hours. So I missed my connection to uh, San Francisco and people were helping and people were kind of patient and I was seeing how uh, sometimes I thought the information wasn't good. At, at one point it really wasn't clear whether I would ever leave Louisville. <laughs> and I could see a little reactivity developing and I, o over the course of the trip I came to see you know, all sorts of aspects of generosity. I think, I think that uh, to be non-reactive was generous. I could watch myself walking and in the airport and someone walking right in front of me who uh, suddenly stopped, you know, like three feet in front of me. And I could have had a harumph moment, right? And I noticed that for whatever reason I had been thinking about generosity and reflecting on it and I just said, okay, you're confused, <laughs> not sure where to go. My reactivity is a form of generosity. My non-reactivity is a form of generosity to you. And, that, and it's one of the themes I'll explore today, that our practice is actually a major form of generosity to others and to ourselves, right? Our, our non-reactivity, my, my not going, you know, you, walked, you stopped and I nearly ran into you. You know, that, we sometimes call that the harumph moment. Which I think does that come from Winnie the Pooh? I'm not, I'm not sure. I think so. I think the harumph. Um, so we can notice that. And I was just seeing the different ways that there there were generosity um, at the airport and in traveling. And what I want to do is to focus on this theme of generosity, partly, and then gratitude later, partly to. Uh, 
have us focus on this theme and use it in connection with the holidays. You know, Thanksgiving is, uh, for whatever reasons, one of the best holidays in this culture, in my view, in terms of non-commercialization. You know, even though I think it's, you know, it has a lot of shadow history in terms of the relation to indigenous people and, and things to look at, but it really is bringing forth the theme of um, appreciation, thanks, relatively non-commercialized compared to other holidays. So there are a lot of uh, positive aspects. So I'm going to, I wanted to talk about generosity and then gratitude and have us consider devoting the next two weeks you know, in our informal time to cultivating generosity and gratitude in the ways that, that you see fit. So what I wanted to uh, do today is to talk first generally about, about generosity and situated in relation to different cultures and different perspectives. Um, do that briefly. Uh, talk about uh, the, some of the background for the meaning of generosity in uh, Buddhist tradition and what the practice of generosity uh, is, why it's important, and what it looks like. And what are some of the, uh, I don't know if I want to say pitfalls, but some of the challenges of generosity practice. And then I'll, uh, and I'll suggest that we consider taking on uh, a genero form of generosity practice in the next week. Or maybe, maybe you're already doing that and want to really just bring that into uh, your consideration. Um, most basically, uh, generosity is a practice that counters greed and holding and tightness in our being. And it also expresses our interconnection. So in both ways, it goes against um, some of our conditioning. You know, to have a sense of being a separate self, piling up my resources and so forth. And it uh, goes against the qualities in the mind which lead, which are connected with with greed, and of course also very linked in a way with the other two um, tendencies of mind that are the focus of our practice traditionally. The aim traditionally, as most of you know, is to transform greed, hatred, and delusion. And you can see that generosity practice actually gets at all three in fundamental ways. So at this point, I was going to talk, tell some personal stories, and one of them was connect with my mom, and she's not here. On the chance that she may come in five minutes, I'm going to come back to this, because she's on her way, as far as I know. And anyway, um, so um, it's very, very interesting that generosity is central in um, virtually all spiritual traditions. And there are different words for it and different <coughs> themes. Uh, some of you know that in Jewish tradition, the guideline is that one gives away 10% of one's income. That's the general guideline in Jewish tradition. This is a, uh, a Jewish author named Donald Altman. In Judaism, the concept of giving is essential through what is known as tzedakah, or charity. 
Actually, the roots of the word stand for justice, righteousness, or fairness. So there's that connection of generosity with a, with a, a just society, with a society where all have, have enough. Um, in Christian tradition, very, very similar. There's uh, the, the word uh, charitas is connected with uh, charity. And it was actually a translation of the word agape from the Greek, which many of you know uh, is the word for unconditional love. And so there's a connection between generosity and unconditional love in Christian tradition. And generally it's thought that one shows one's sense of love for God by showing love for fellow humans through generosity. And this is taken as, um, in Christian tradition, actually as the foundation of all virtue, generosity. And we'll see there's a very similar understanding in Buddhist tradition that uh, generosity is uh, often in many of the lists what comes first. And I'll, I'll come back to that. But you can see in these multiple traditions that generosity is really uh, central in Islamic tradition, uh, generosity is one of the five pillars of practice that one should that one should follow, um, and the sharing of what one has is uh, taken as obligatory, especially for those who have more. It's the term in the Islamic tradition in Arabic is zakat which actually means purification. And much like in Buddhist tra tradition, it's understood as a practice which helps to purify any greed that's there. So very similar, you know, very similar in these traditions. Foundational, focused on transforming greed, uh, and connected, uh, connected with care and with love. I was thinking also of how this manifests in indigenous traditions. And there's a um, East African proverb that goes, you can share even if you have a little. And thinking of also, um, particularly when I was invited uh, by a friend to uh, a potlatch ceremony in uh, British Columbia uh, uh, on an island called Bella Bella, about 14 hours travel north of Vancouver, and uh, went there and the, uh, had the experience of the potlatch, which is a three-day gift-giving ceremony, which is ancient, and which uh, actually the, uh, the Christian missionaries did not like. And they had the, the ceremony banned from about 1880 to 1951 in Canada, believe it or not. Um, they thought that people, some people sometimes got too much into what they saw as competitive giving. Uh, I don't know so much about that, but I know that the ceremony I went to, there, it was amazing. It was the whole framework was that of giving gifts of various kinds. There were three days of various kinds of gift giving, along with different kinds of ceremonies, which were really about people's connections with each other, with their ability to um, see each other. There, they had ceremonies where people adopted each other into their families. 
you know, there's a lot about interconnection and uh, and generosity. I, there also were uh, rituals that I saw of reconciliation between uh, those who had actually uh, were perpetrators of sexual abuse and victims of sexual abuse within the community, which is a serious issue in some of the native communities. And, they, and there were ceremonies there that, uh, that I witnessed, which were quite intense, witnessed by the whole community. Right? And so this was all in the context of, of gift-giving. Let's see. Okay, well, I'll, maybe I'll slide in the personal stories in, in a moment, but maybe I think I'll just have to give the personal stories now because <laughs> it, it fits. But um, um, I, I was thinking of some of my own experiences with generosity and uh, some, of the, some of the places that that manifested. You know, one was I, I spent uh, time when I was in my uh, early 20s and later 20s, quite a lot of time in the southern mountains. It was actually, it was nice to be, I was back there in the uh, Smokies um, for, for a retreat there. And I remember that the people were extremely generous there. It was a little bit like the 19th century. And they were very generous. And my brother and I <coughs> were interested in building a cabin. And people gave us virtually all the supplies to, to build people would give, and it was very, very generous. And somehow they didn't, they didn't, they just were very naturally generous. I would, um, you know, I think, I think I remember I would, I was hitchhiking some there, and I was just picked up by any, everyone. You know, it was a different time, maybe a little more innocent. But I would be picked up by, you know, uh, older people, all sorts of people, um, and and was, I had interesting moments, like because at the time I had uh, I had long hair, like halfway down my back, and they would talk to me. I remember the, the couple that we were most close to, uh, uh, Lawrence and Abby Blagg. They'd ask me, Don, you ever seen any hippies? <laughs> <laughs> there I was. So I said, Yeah, I've seen a few. <laughs> And so uh, there was just there was a, there was a very natural generosity, which really touched me. And, and people were just offered and offered. And it was just the way of life there, much more interconnected. And I think uh, parts of America are still like that. Some communities are still like that. But things have shifted, as we know, in a lot of ways. So that the, you know, the, it's, uh, you know, we are I, probably as a culture, we are, we are less generous than we once were. You know, I know there have been studies which show that actually, in terms of helping uh, the poor of the world, uh, citizens of the U.S. do not do well per capita compared to the most industrial countries. And some of the you know, countries, some of the Scandinavian countries, for example, I think, have per capita giving to the poor in other countries, maybe 30, 40, 50 times what it is in the U.S. Right? So there, there, there are a lot of cultural aspects, and there a lot of ways that we, uh, I think, partly want to, I mean, I want to hold this theme, not just as individual generosity, but what does it take to build a culture and a society of generosity, right? And it's obviously long-term. Um, a story that my mom told me 
which I really liked, was just sort of shows this natural generosity that all of us have. She said, she told me that uh, um, when my brother was born, he, he, he was uh, uh, born uh, a little over two years after I was, so I would have been two and a half. And I um, saw him sitting in the, in the crib, my mother says, and I gave him my red rubber fire truck <laughs> because he was in the crib and he didn't have a toy. <laughs> right? And my mother said she was really touched, but also was like really grungy and dirty. <laughs> she was a little bit, a little bit, oh, no. But there's that kind of, you know, where, where did that come from? Right? Uh, you know, I think we, we have a lot of that. Maybe, maybe you've seen that in children or can remember uh, stories like that. And so, um, in the Buddhist tradition, the uh, sense of generosity is often uh, captured by this word uh, dana, which we know. You know, and we uh, Anne mentioned Anne mentioned uh, generosity in as it is as one aspect of it that we use here is that the you know in our retreats the teaching and the staff is supported by dana her generosity. And here also, you know, generally we've tried to keep it somewhat like the tradition in Asia, which is very much based on dana. And dana, or generosity, is a core quality. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the quality of dana appears first on a number of lists. Some of you may know from Sylvia's writing that dana is the first of the paramis, or so-called uh, virtues, or qualities to be developed. Uh, one map of what this practice is about, that we develop qualities like generosity, and living ethically, loving kindness, concentration, equanimity, wisdom, and so forth, and generosity is listed first. Interesting. And often in the Asian context, uh, generosity is taught first. And so there'd be, uh, most of you know that the relation of the lay people to the monks uh, at this point, and used to be monks and nuns, uh, is one that's really framed by generosity. Typically every morning, and this is still the case in places like Thailand, uh, monks would walk at dawn to the nearby villages in silence and receive uh, their food for the day. Their training precepts are such that they cannot store food overnight. And so the food is given in this practice of dana every day. And children learn this from a young age and often the parents will give a spoon for like a very young child to give to the monk to learn, to learn dana, to learn generosity. And so it's very fundamental there. For us, it's a more advanced practice. We learn meditation first, and then a little while later, down the road, we say, oh, what about generosity? But in the, in the original context, it's first. And we have, for better and worse, we have this focus, especially on meditation, and we sometimes lose the broader context in which the path of development really is about developing all sorts of qualities of which the meditative ones are central and very important, but they're not the only ones. And so, 
you know, the, as you know, it's been an uh, interest of mine for, for a long time to say, how can we have our daily life practice really be this place of development? And for that, we want to really look to qualities like generosity, which have a, I think, have a meaning in the context of meditation, but there really are more relational practice. And so the ancient context was really that of a shared kind of relational exchange, and that was the way people lived. And of course, you know, as I mentioned by my example of the southern mountains, I think, you know, many cultures had that sense of shared relational exchange as their basis. Clearly, we've moved away from that in many ways, you know, in this culture. Um, and so, again, the, the horizon here is both our individual practice, but also our practice in community, and then our attempts to develop a uh, more generous culture. You know, that's, that's the horizon. And so, generosity is the first, is the first of the paramis. It's the first of the qualities to be developed. Uh, and it was, the, it was usually the first topic that the Buddha talked about when he was teaching people. Interesting. He didn't go right to meditation. He didn't, didn't even go to the, the wisdom teachings about the Four Noble Truths. But rather, he went to the teachings about generosity. And uh, he, he, often, he often focused there. And the, you know, later in the teachings of the Bodhisattva or the Bodhisattva in both Theravada and Mahayana traditions, again, generosity is one of the, um, is one of the core qualities developed in that pursuit. So it's very, again, very central in that tradition. This is, this is a, an old text. This is from the Theravada tradition. It's about the bodhisattva or bodhisattva. When the bodhisattva, when the great person, gives an external object, he or she gives whatever is needed to whomever, whomever stands in need of it. Knowing by himself that someone is in need of something, he gives it even unasked, much more than when asked. He gives sufficiently, not insufficiently. When there is something to be given, he does not give because he expects something in return. And when there is not enough to give sufficiently to all, he distributes evenly whatever can be shared. This is about the perfection or the full development of generosity. He does not give things that issue an affliction for others, such as weapons, poisons, and intoxicants. Nor does he give amusements, which are harmful and lead to negligence. And he does not give unsuitable food or drink to a person who is sick, even though he might ask for it. He does not give what is suitable beyond the proper measure. And so we'll, we'll see, there's, there's a, a suggestion of guidelines um, for, for giving. I think generally, again, the, the sense of it is that this is really to see where there is tightness or where there is holding or where there is grasping in ourselves. And generosity can uh, really be a practice in which we see where we're tight, we see where we're caught, we see where there's greed, we see where there's hoarding, and we uh, can uh, really give in a way that's more suitable. 
I'll come back in a moment because there are all sorts of guidelines given and there can definitely be unskillful giving. So it's not that we just are asked, okay, give everything, end of story. And there's actually, it's actually a guideline that it's actually not skillful to give if it's hurtful to oneself. So there are a lot, there are a lot of guidelines for what is skillful and unskillful. Um, I'll come in a moment, like to the core of the practice, which I think is probably of most interest to us, but a little bit more on the traditional understandings of dana. It was uh, in the traditional understanding, who should one give to? <clears throat> one should give to friends, relationships, one should give to those in need, the poor, the sick, the afflicted, the helpless, including animals. And one should help all beings, in a way. Um, and Sometimes, uh, historically, the act of giving or the act of receiving, such as from monks, has been used to say that some people uh, are not proper to give. And this was used actually as a, um, uh, some, as a almost like a uh, powerful point in recent Burma in 1988, you know, when, when the Burmese military had massacred thousands of people, Buddhist monks refused to accept offerings for food from the generals. It was a very strong statement, you know, that they took this honorable form of generosity and said, no, you, we will not receive your gift. So I don't, th- I don't find that as a, you know, a, a long-term guideline. But that was used in a, we might say, a creative way in that context of oppression. Interesting, right? And it, had, it was quite a statement in, in that context, because it was a very central uh, perspective. Um, so what do we give? We give, uh, again, traditionally speaking, food, clothing, shelter. Really, there, were, there are three main forms of, of what one gives. One gives uh, material objects, which can be helpful. One also gives the gift of fearlessness, was said to be a gift one gives. And again, this is like the fruit of one's practice, that, the, that there is a, a term, I think it's abhayadana, which means not being fearless, not being fearful as a gift, which is really a gift of one's, of one's own practice. One gives... Uh, Are you going to talk more about that? Because I don't quite get that. Okay. Um, I can, yeah. So request to talk a little bit more about that. Um, and one gives, uh, one may give education, one may give culture. In some of the old texts, the Buddha in past lives often gave his life. A lot of the teaching stories are actually of the Buddha, often as an animal, would offer himself up to a starved, you know, tiger or something. You know, as a hare might give might give himself up. And the stories were about the, the way that uh, generosity gets developed, even by giving one's life, sort of, the, sort of an ultimate gift of sorts. You know, and the, the Buddha was taken over countless lifetimes to have developed uh, the quality of, of dana and the other paramis to a full degree, to a mature degree. It said, ultimately, that the greatest gift that one can give is the gift of, uh, dana, of dhamma or dharma, the gift of uh, teaching 
And I, I would say the gift of one's own practice. This is traditionally taken to be the, the greatest gift. And it's said that traditionally one gives courteously, happily, without regrets to both friends and foes, to everyone all the time. <laughs> this is the sense of, of dana, and that there are a number of rewards of dana. So again, the traditional teachings really clearly have uh, dana or generosity as a, as a foundational practice that can really lead to a certain sense of interconnection, lightness with one's hold, holding of one's own stuff and material, and uh, a sense uh, of helping others. Let me talk a little bit more about the practice, maybe in more contemporary terms, in, in terms of how we would work it, with it. Clearly, the practice of generosity is about going against selfishness and self-centeredness, and which again is at the center of our practice. Uh, the center of our practice is to go against uh, greed and self-centeredness. And I, I think it's sometimes an irony that we often do this on our own, meditating intently on my own to cut through self-centeredness. <laughs> right? And there are paradoxes there. Right? There are paradoxes there, and I think the practice of generosity is a good complement to that. I think ultimately, of course, Meditation and development, as I've said, is a form um, of generosity that we give to the world. Um, and so part of the practice of generosity is to see where we are tight, where we're caught. And so all of this is an ongoing practice. Again, it, this isn't, as with much of the ways we bring the practice to our daily lives, this isn't about you know, evaluating oneself according to some external criteria and just saying, am I generous? Am I not generous? But rather it's an ongoing practice in which we investigate, we see what's there. Where am I tight? Where am I generous? Where do I give? Where do I give um, with a sense of uh, kindness, with a sense of openness? Where do I, you know, where do I hold on? Um, what's there in myself. And I was thinking about this uh, class again that I've sometimes mentioned that I taught with Diana Winston uh, on uh, greed management. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I taught, we taught this class on greed management in the East Bay in Berkeley and Oakland um, a number of years ago. And we, um, as I, uh, you may remember, we had very few people come. In fact, we had a class of five. Two teachers, very good student t- teacher, but we were really interested in something we didn't care about five people, and the five people were very motivated, you know, and that's where we, I mentioned we had the final exam for the class was a silent walking meditation through the newly opened Bed Bath & Beyond in El Cerrito. <laughs> you know, watching one's mind as one goes through and seeing, and again, it was very startling for me. I had never been in a store, and just as, you know, for me it was especially discovering that I had wants developing for where I never knew there was a need, you know, in, in multiple ways, you know. And, and what, we, what was particularly interesting for me with that class was that we actually looked very carefully at the nature of wanting and greed and hoarding and so forth. And, we, and this is part of, I think, the practice. Again, 
the invitation is to really look carefully at what's there for you. To, in a moment, I'll talk about some practices for uh, generosity that we might take on, uh, that all of us, including myself, might take on in the coming weeks. But this is really to uh, practice, to see what's there, to see uh, the ways we can be generous and the ways that we're not so generous. It's really sort of a self-inventory. What's going on in this moment? You know, in this moment, uh, a, a driver wants to move into my lane because two lanes are merging into one. Do I say, no, this is my lane, you wait. Anyone ever do that? No. <laughs> or do I, or is there a sense of generosity? Again, we'll come in a moment to see that there can be uh, problematic aspects of, of giving and generosity as well. Um, and so what we found in that class was that what's characteristic of greed? There's a narrow focus on my needs, often ignoring other people's needs. This is when we looked at our own greed, this is what we found, that there's a narrow focus on my needs with an implicit assumption my desires and needs matter more than other people's. There was often uh, extreme self-centeredness with greed. So it was was almost like there was narrow tunnel vision. My needs are the only ones that matter. This is what's there when we we looked at what greed was. There was also a short-term focus, often a lack of any understanding of consequences, oblivious often, obliviousness to consequences, Think about the Keystone XL vote <laughs> in that context, right? Yeah. There, there's there's a, a very short-term thinking, lack of uh, ability to look at long-term consequences. In fact, virtual, you know, when one's consumed by greed, virtual obliviousness to lo- to consequences, right? Um, there's also a lack of sense of connection. In that moment of greed, what we found there was a lack of sense of connection to others and often a sense of entitlement, right? A sense of, I deserve this, this should come to me. So this is really an invitation to to look carefully. And we, um, I mean, connected with that, we want to also look at the way that giving may be problematic. And this this was emphasized a lot in the traditional text, that there are all sorts of ways that giving can be uh, problematic. One can, you know, uh, give, it's said uh, traditionally, one can give with annoyance or as a way of offending the recipient. <laughs> Probably we can give certain gifts that we think will annoy the person, right? Yeah. Uh, interesting, right? That's mentioned in the text. You can, you can give annoying gifts to people, <laughs> right? It's also said that you can be mo- you look at your motivation. What's the motivation? Is my motivation, sometimes the motivation to give a gift that's said traditionally is out of fear. Or we could think, again, I, I give in order to <clears throat> receive something in return, right? I have a sense, the giving is that involves a sense uh, of exchange. Or I'm giving because someone did a favor for me in the past. Again, these are uh, taken not to be the forms of giving that really get most directly at, at greed and these other factors. 
we may give with the motivation that sometime in the future so- someone will give something to me in return. Or I give because other people will think well of me for giving. Or because I have a good self-image, right? So part of the practice of generosity is having the lookout for this. This is like that teaching we know from loving kindness and compassion, joy and equanimity, the teaching of the near enemies or the near opposites. How to, when we're developing a given positive quality, are there often uh, almost like <coughs> imposters or ways that the quality gets distorted? Very clear with generosity. We know that, we know that very well. Um, we give to get a good reputation was often seen, but rather um, the aim actually is that the aim of generos- uh, generosity is really to give out of one's own heart, out of one's own wisdom. It's said to be an adornment and beautification of our being to, to, to give. Here's a uh, quote from the Buddha. These five are a person of integrity's gifts. Which five? A person of integrity gives a gift with a sense of conviction. A person of integrity gives a gift attentively. A person of integrity gives a gift in season. A person of integrity gives a gift with an empathetic heart. A person of integrity gives a gift without adversely affecting himself or others. So I like that because we could could obviously engage in generosity in ways that are not helpful to ourselves, right? We can do so and it's very common in the helping professions, we may give to others at the cost of depleting ourselves. Right? That is not helpful. Right? I think that's aspects of that are pointed out traditionally. So you get generosity gets confusing. If I, as a teacher, keep on giving and don't take care of myself, my health, my downtime, and so forth, that is not skillful generosity. Right? And I think we all have to look at this, right? This is, I think, a perennial challenge for anyone in the helping professions, right? And how do we give and also take care of ourselves, right? So very, very interesting. Um, So what are some practices to develop generosity? How might we develop generosity? And maybe you'll take these on. Maybe we'll all take these on in the next period of time. So part of the practice clearly is, in, is taking, as an, taking as intention to develop generosity. And we could do this, again, I think we can do this internally and also externally. I, when I was in the airport, I was finding myself doing metta from time to time. And it feels like metta is a form of generosity, really, to offer someone kindness, to offer someone uh, non-reactivity, to offer something by one's presence. I think this is uh, an important aspect of generosity. Ultimately, one offers one's being to others, one's cultivation of qualities. And this is maybe the ultimate, the ultimate gift one can give. And you know, I think this relates to that sense of um, one offers fearlessness. And, and the question was, what does that mean? I think partly it means that one offers to another the sense that you don't, don't need to be afraid of me. That's part of it, right? You don't need to be afraid of me. I will not be reactive as best I can. I have the intention to be kind, to be generous. 
I maybe have worked on my aggression. I have worked on the inner factors which could lead you to be afraid of me, right? And so there's, and of course that goes also for ourselves. We give ourselves the gift of not needing to be afraid of ourselves. Right? We're afraid that we will hurt ourselves or be unskillful, you know, the quality of wisdom. So that's, that's partly what that gift of uh, fearlessness means. And so it's, uh, um, yeah, so it's not so much saying, you know, here, have some fearlessness. Right? But it's, I think, that one gives that uh, someone a gift by one's being, by one's presence, by maybe the focus being on wisdom and love and generosity and so forth, even though it's ongoing practice. So some, some other ways of practicing. Uh, clearly, uh, all of these would be done with the aim of investigating. You know, all of this is practice, which means we're continually just seeing what's there, noticing what comes up in our noticing what comes up in our practice, noticing where there's greed, noticing where we fall short, seeing what the motivation is. And all of this, again, is completely ongoing. But so here are some practices. Maybe you'll have some others in mind. Uh, take, as a, uh, take for the next week that you will engage in generosity practice and do one generous deed a day, whatever it is. Again, can be can be material, can be helping someone who is not well, who is sick, uh, but just uh, take a vow to do something generous. You know, give someone, someone something you cherish, like in that story that my mom told me about, the, about me giving my brother Frederick um, that, um, what was it, rubber, red rubber fire engine? Was that it? Yeah. And, <laughs> and I remember, and the story was that you cringed a little bit because it was really dirty. And I put it next to his face. I don't didn't remember that detail. Right. So I put it next to his face, so, so he, he could see it clearly. So he could really see it clearly in the crib at age three months or four months. He could really be with that. So find a way to offer something to be generous. Uh, do one generous deed a day, and and whatever that is, and maybe you do more than one. But that could be a practice. Maybe you want to take that on for the next week. And again, it's to cultivate the quality, but also to see what's there. Um, A practice that I've sometimes done is to always bring extra food with me when I'm walking in a street. And if I'm with someone who's who's homeless, offer some food. You can do the same thing with money. You can bring extra money. You can take a certain allotment of money to give away, right? And again, there are tricky aspects of that. Do you do that? I, I've, I've done it over time. I don't do it currently, but I've done that sometimes, yeah, for periods of time. Yeah, not everyone wants food. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, it's, there are a lot of complications here. But bringing food, bringing money, decide that you're going to um, give, away, uh, give away a certain amount of money. Um, you know, bring uh, $20 with you all the time that you'll give away to someone who asks, right? Take that as a practice, or have uh, an allotment each year that you'll give. You know, and, and of course, for people who are asking, it can be incredible, right, to actually have an experience other than being deliberately ignored, right? You know, um, there was an experiment done uh, where people were given a certain amount of money. They were given fifty dollars, and they had a choice 
uh, or half actually were asked, do something nice for yourself with that money. And the other half were say, here's the $50, give it away in different ways. And they, you know, I, I don't know if it was specified how, whether it was giving the money away or getting a gift for someone. And they did this as a research project and they studied who was happier, the group who did something nice for themselves for the group who gave it away. And it was clear that the people who gave it away were much happier in that process. Right? It's something I haven't mentioned so much, that generosity and that maybe that sense of connection, of lightness, of not holding, of giving wisely, can bring great happiness. As, again, most of us know who are in um, service professions, who help others in different ways. There's tremendous... Um, happiness from that sense of connection and actually making a difference with the generosity. Um, Sharon Salzberg, uh, the teacher from um, the East, meaning New York. (laughs) 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 Sorry. Uh, She says, whenever a strong urge to give comes up, follow through. (laughs) Interesting. When, uh, when, When generosity comes up. Um, see if you can stretch. Take another practice would be take your work explicitly as a form of generosity and see what it means and see what it would mean to uh, practice more with that spirit of generosity in your work. What does that mean? Again, the spirit totally here is of investigation, of seeing what's there, of noticing and, and of maybe making some changes, may, making some, some switches. So just take a moment right now and see what calls you. See whether you would like to take the next week as a week to cultivate generosity. And just take a moment to ask, just for yourself, silently, what would be a good way for me to cultivate generosity? Do any of those practices appeal to me? That was mentioned. Might there be some other practice? So just take a minute right now and reflect. And this might involve actually writing something down, putting it on your, your refrigerator, having uh, maybe you sit in the morning and have an intention practice and remember that intention about generosity. You know, I found myself saying I want to have this manifest both um, in my work and being with people, my teaching, and also when I'm walking um, you know, walking in near where I live, and um, bring some extra money. That's what I found came to me. See what comes to you and take that as a practice. So let me end just with two short readings and we can talk together. Um, The first is from uh, the late Steve Stuckey who was a a teacher, I think Abbott, at uh, San Francisco Zen Center. And this, this actually connects generosity with the theme of gratitude which we'll look at next week. The spirit of giving is based on a feeling of gratitude, of being deeply thankful for the ability to give and to receive, to be freely willing to participate 
in this reciprocal turning of life energy. And then the last is from, uh, from the Buddha. He says, what is the treasury, what is the treasure of generosity? There is the case of a disciple of the noble ones, one's awareness cleansed of the stain of stinginess, living at home, freely generous, open-handed, delighting in being magnanimous, magnanimous, responsive to requests, delighting in the distribution of alms. This is called the treasure of generosity. So let's sit for a moment and then we can uh, talk together. Any reflections, questions, aha moments? <laughs> Please. Yeah. I just heard on the news today that. Um, and let's use the. Let's use. Why don't we use the microphone? I for, sorry, I forgot that. This was a new story? It's not, yeah. Um, That um, the people who have survived the Ebola virus, um, they're using their blood serum to uh, give to people who are suffering from it. And um, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation um, created a situation where they were able to... uh, uh, create trucks with um, all of the equipment that they need to go into West Africa and um, set up stations where they would take the blood from people who had survived. Mm-hmm. And because this con- these countries don't have any um, uh, resources for mm-hmm. that. And, you know, he's a multi-billionaire. And, I mean, he, it's probably just a minuscule thing amount. But... Mm-hmm. It was just amazing to me that he found a need, and they found a need, and they they are doing yeah. it. Yeah. And I just, I, my heart was open because I thought yeah. these, there's so many people who are going there and doing this, and they're not afraid, or they're maybe they are afraid of getting Ebola. But mm-hmm. I think it's a pretty yeah. scary thing, and yeah. um, it just it made me feel really great about that. Yeah, yeah. So really feeling that uh, inspiration and energy mm-hmm. from from those kind of stories. Yeah. yeah. Let's say our names again. Sorry. My name is Chris. Uh, tonight, uh, we're Wednesday night lunch making crew from 6 p.m. to 7.30 at the St. Vincent de Paul's dining room, 820 B Street between 3rd and 2nd. 
We put together 200 bag lunches for the hungry and homeless every week. We have fun while serving this very needy population. Mm-hmm. It'll be, it's at six. So a possible activity, yeah. Every Wednesday. Yeah. Yes. Saint Vincent de Paul, San Rafael. I think uh, my brother-in-law works with Saint Vincent de Paul's full-time job in Berkeley, and yeah, it's a. Uh, I think it came out of, uh, if I remember right, maybe you remember. Um, I think uh, college students in France in the 19th century wanted to help, and they founded this organization. Other questions, reflections about this practice of generosity, Uh, Sasha? I was just going to say that I had an aha, like a feeling aha that I've understood conceptually before, just at the beginning of your talk and then throughout of the way that um, we we suffer so much when we don't practice generosity, yeah. and I think I thought of it as like, what am I doing for others? But it, yeah. I had the aha of like, oh, actually, my my suffering is increased by not being generous and feeling. Yeah. It, it causes us to feel alienated, and I just felt the the strength of that. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, very very interesting, isn't it? It's a it's a switch on perspectives because usually. We think that uh, giving is like, uh, it's an option, right? Giving is an option in the good life, right? <laughs> I, leave a good li- I lead a good life, and then maybe I'm generous, right? And, and it's a further option if I'm really going to be a good person. But we, and this is where really, uh, to go back to that sense that the practice of generosity, again, it's, it's interesting that in all these traditions, it's taken as foundational. We, you know, generally at Spirit Rock, we don't teach that very much, right? We have a Donna talk, you know, here for a few minutes, and, you know, and it's not so, always so clear how generosity relates to meditative training, right? Not always so obvious, right? It's, it seems like something we do on our spare time, right, or something like that. But I think when we look deeply at it, like I think like you're doing, we can, it can connect with that comment I made earlier that generosity practice would, would undermine uh, the three so-called poisons, greed, hatred, and delusion. And most obviously greed, but also the, you know, that, that way in which uh, not giving or being greedy tends to disconnect us from others, right? And, and is often based on some aversion, certainly not love and care, right? And then the delusion that this is actually going to bring me a deep happiness, right? You know, in the moment of greed, there's some delusion that this is really a good thing, right? right? You know, whether it's material greed or any kind of greed, really. So, so it's interesting, isn't it? And so actually, the generosity, the work of uh, non-generosity is uh, connected with, with, with one's own suffering, right? And one's own limitation. Interesting, isn't it? We don't usually think like that, do we? Yeah. 
Um, there was Adrian. Yeah. Adrian. Yeah. There was once a commercial I remember seeing where uh, someone would help uh, was seen helping someone cross the street, an older woman who couldn't stop the traffic, yeah. brought her across the street. And then the woman saw someone drop her. Somebody dropped their umbrella. She picks up the umbrella. That person goes and they, you know, give some money to someone. Yeah. Uh, and so it's. It, the commercial is about generosity being self-proliferating, and yeah. that. But you see, when you see generosity, it inspires something like what she was saying. You see, it, in even small ways, it inspires you yeah. to be generous. Yeah, yeah. There's the that was certainly the the Native American theme of the potlatch, where gift. You know, there's that sense that we sometimes hear the gift that keeps moving, right? You don't hold your gift. Gifts are always moving. And, um, yeah, and he, there, there was a book written quite a while ago by Lewis Hyde called The Gift, which had some very remarkable observations about that sense of the movement or about the gifts that really, uh, the offerings that really touch people. And, but I think you're talking, you're talking about this way that um, <coughs> uh, receiving from someone who's generous, if one's open, can really spark one's own generosity. And it keeps on going, you know, and multiplies, right? And I think we often see that maybe in, in situations of need, where there's a real wish to be generous. Right? You know, in, in moments of, often in moments of crisis or need, whether it's a need of an individual, health need or some other need, um, People love to, to help, right? Or, you know, uh, I've, I sometimes talk about this, I don't know if I've talked about it much here, but there's a book called, by Rebecca Solnit called A Paradise Built in Hell, which in which she studies natural disasters mostly, but also after 9-11, when there was great need, generally, the, the vast majority of the population, when there's not significant fear, when it's just a disaster and, and need, then uh, people's response is amazing. You know, there is, you know, there were, I remember uh, Dorothy Day, uh, the founder of Catholic Worker, you know, great being. She was uh, an eight-year-old in Oakland in 1906, and she gave a, a reminiscence about the San Francisco earthquake, and she said people came streaming from San Francisco into Oakland, and they camped at the racetrack. And she said everyone in Oakland just was engaged in cooking meals, and they gave all their clothes away. Mm. And she, she has a line at the, at the uh, um, that in which she ends that reminiscence. She says, while the crisis lasted, people loved each other. Mm. 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 Then the crisis ended and... Got back to normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Isn't that interesting? So, to me, this, you know, how do you... How do you have that be more everyday and ordinary? And that is the case, I think, in some communities, right? Yeah, please, Marty. Yeah. I just wanted to say something about fearlessness because oh, yeah. that um, that came to me. Um, I think fearlessness has to do with vulnerability. And mm -hmm. if we realize that 
courage and fearlessness is not something that we um, have to work at acquiring, like something that we don't have that we have to acquire, but more it's something that if we really become vulnerable and true to who we are and really get in touch with that, then we are fearless because we're being ourselves. Mm -hmm. We do have courage mm -hmm. because we are being ourselves and we're in on very honestly in with the flow of life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a way in which life becomes our teacher mm -hmm. because if you do feel disconnected and cut off, you're not really in the flow of life. You're probably pulling back and uh, certainly not being fearless. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. thanks, thanks, Marty. And really points to the ways that uh, yeah, we could explore this sense of the gift of fearlessness as a practice that maybe being, again, we, gift the give, we give the gift of fearlessness. That doesn't mean the other person receives it. <laughs> right. But there is that sense of being authentic and not afraid of oneself or of one's stuff that you have to deal with in your life and being really willing to face one's life or work with conditioning or uh, to work through one's, uh, the different ways that one might hurt oneself or others, that that is a tremendous gift both to oneself and others. And so, yeah, these are quite a theme, isn't it? You know, we, we sometimes see generosity as, um, again, with the emphasis that is there in Western culture on meditation, we sometimes see generosity and even ethics as secondary, right? And with the real actions with the meditation, right? And, and I think, uh, you know, I think our, even the way we act and teach sometimes, I think, supports that notion. Uh, but this is actually, can... Now, this is something which can be a very fundamental practice uh, in our lives. And I know I'm going, to, I'm going to do the practice I thought of in the next week. Okay? And we'll come back. Let me, let's, we'll end with two things. First, um, if you want to take on a week practice of generosity, again, bring it to mind. And what, what's, what's your intention? And what practice would you like to take on if this, if this uh, resonates with you? And what's going to help you remember this practice half an hour from now <laughs> and beyond? What's going to help you remember? Maybe, you know, maybe setting an intention once or twice a day. Let's see what, what's going to help you actually make this real. And then we end with our uh, traditional way of ending, which is to remember that we very much do our practice for ourselves, but it's clear from the theme today, we also do this for others. And may the morning be of benefit for ourselves, for each other, and then beyond these halls, 
be of value for other beings, ultimately all other beings. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.